do appreciate the opportunity to come and be a part of the Jubilee. I appreciate the pastor and his invitation. I uh, feel unworthy. I've heard it said a few day, a few times already this week. I'm praying for the man of God. I don't feel like a man of God. All I feel like is somebody who just volunteered to go when nobody else would. Our our ministry is reaching small towns in South Dakota. It's not what I trained for. It's not what I expected. But it's where God's called. The Lord. I want you to go ahead and start turning your Bibles to Second Samuel 23. And when you're there, if you would stand. And I got a text from Brother McDaniel in September asking me if I would preach the Sunday morning message of his jubilee. I was already planning on being here. And so I I agreed and just began to pray and ask the Lord guidance. And about October 18th was when the Lord impressed upon me the message that I was to preach. And so for the last three months, I've prayed and prepared, and I'm confident that this is the message for the hour. No matter how many times I may have tried to wiggle my way out of preaching something that's going to be a little more jubilant, <laughs> this is where the Lord kept telling me to be. And I've got to obey the Lord. Yes, sir. So in Second Samuel chapter 23, we'll be in verse number 8. These be the names of the mighty men whom David had, the Tachmanite that sat in the seat, chief among the captains. The same was Adino the Esnite. He lift up his spear against 800 whom he slew at one time. And after him was Eliezer the son of Dodo the Ahohite, one of the three mighty men with David when they defied the Philistines that were there gathered together to battle, and the men of Israel were gone away. He arose and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary, and his hand clave under the sword, and the Lord wrought a great victory that day. And the people returned after him only to spoil, and after him was Shema the son of Agi the Herite. And the Philistines were gathered together into a troop, where it was a piece of ground full of lentils, and the people fled from the Philistines. But he stood in the midst of the ground and defended it, and slew the Philistines, and the Lord wrought a great victory. I want you to skip down to verse 18 now. And Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zariah, was chief among three, and he lifted up his spear against three hundred and slew them, and had the name among three. 
Was he not most honorable of three? Therefore he was their captain, howbeit he attained not unto the first three. And Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man of Kabzeel, who had uh, done many acts, he slew two lion-like men of Moab. He went down also and slew a lion in the midst of a pit in the time of snow. And he slew an Egyptian, a goodly man, and the Egyptian had a spear in his hand. But he, he went down to him with the staff and plucked a spear out of the Egyptian's hand and slew him with his own spear. These things did Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and had the name among three mighty men. He was more honorable than the thirty, but he attained not to the first three. And David set him over his guard. As the hell, the brother of Joab was one of the thirty. Helhanan, the son of Dodo of Bethlehem. Shema, the Herodite. Elika, the Herodite. Heliza, the Paltite. Ira, the son of Ikish, the Tekoite. Ebiizer, the Inathite. Mabunai, the Hushathite. Zalman, the Ohathite. Mahariah, the Nephathite, Heleb, the son of Bena, a Nephathite, Atiah, the son of Rebeah, out of Gibeah, the children of Benjamin, Benaiah, the Parathonite, Hadiah, of the brooks of Gaash, Helbiabon, the Arbathite, Asmaveth, Barhumite, Eliabah, the Shalbanite, the son of Jason, Jonathan, Shema, the Herorite, Ahiam, the son of Sherar, the Herorite, Eliphathet, the son of Ahashbah, the son of Machiathite, Eliam, the son of Ahithophel, the Gilanite, Ezri, the Carmelite, Pariah, the Arbite, Egal, the son of Nathan of Zobah, Bani, the Gadite, Zelek, the Ammonite, Nehariah, the Barathite, Armorbearer to Joab, the son of Zariah, Ira, an Ithrite, Kerub, an Ithrite, Uriah, the Hittite, 30 and 7 in all. Let's pray. Father, I do ask, Lord, this morning, you would just use me as a tool in your arsenal. Because, God, I truly do believe that this is the message for the hour. No doubt. But God, if they're just words that I speak, they'll do nothing. It's your power and the force of your word that's going to do something this morning. And this week, I ask God that you would just use me. Help me to sit back and just watch you do something through me. Please, Lord, God, now speak to hearts. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. We see here a list of 37 mighty men. David's mighty men. These are, these are the warriors. These are the ones that were probably better in battle than all the others. They, they far exceeded all the others. You think about how many... Uh, David had in, uh, in his armies, and yet he was able to pick out 37 men that just stood above the rest of them. Right. And we, among these, see some of their exploits. You see, Shama, who stood when all others fled. Verse 11 and 12, it says, And after him was Shema, the son of Agi, the Herite, 
And the Philistines were gathered together into a troop where it was a piece of ground full of lentils. And the people fled from the Philistines. But he stood in the midst of the ground and defended it and slew the Philistines that the Lord wrought a great victory. I think of how faithful these men were in, in the battle. David knew they would stand. David knew they wouldn't flee. Even mentioned the, the three that went out who risked their lives just to get David a drink right. from the well of Bethlehem. Right. That's a soldier right there. But if you look at this list of names, you can look at the last one, verse 39, Uriah, the Hittite. It's kind of surprising. Now, if you go to the very beginning of this chapter, it says, now these be the last words of David. So David's at the end of his life, and he's, Speaking about the goodness of God, and, and several chapters refer to that in several of the Psalms. And in this, he's writing a list of those mighty men. And he puts down Uriah. You know, that's, we don't see the exploits of Uriah. But we do know about Uriah. Uriah is the husband of Bathsheba with whom David had an affair. And in part of that affair, a child was conceived. And David attempted to hide that fact by bringing Uriah home from the battle to spend a few nights with his wife. And yet Uriah would not go home. But he slept at the door of the king's house. Why? Because he's a faithful soldier. These are his words in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 11. It says, And Uriah said unto David, this is just after David heard word that Uriah did not go home. Now understand, he is not far from home. What was it that led David to that sin with Bathsheba? He could see her from his house and see her bathing. But you know where Uriah slept that night? At the gate, at the door of the king's house. Within sight of his own house. But this is what he said. He said unto David, the ark... And Israel and Judah abide in tents. And my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go into mine house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife as thou livest? And as thy soul liveth, I will not do this thing. He was faithful a faithful servant, a faithful soldier. That's why David was picking out all of his mighty men. He 
He was looking at the faithful ones. He was looking at the ones that, that held their ground and among those is right. After a second failed attempt, of trying to get Uriah to sleep in, in, in his own house. David had Uriah deliberately killed in the next battle. David's letter and command is found in 2 Samuel eleven fourteen through 17. It says, and it came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter saying, Set ye Uriah in the front of the in the forefront of the hottest battle, and retire ye from him, that he may be smitten and die. And it came to pass when Joab observed the city, that he assigned Uriah unto a place where he knew that valiant men were. And the men of the city went out and fought with Joab, and there fell some of the people of the servants of David. And Uriah the Hittite died also. We see again the quality of Uriah. Because this is Shammah who in that little pea patch that he protected when everybody else fled, Uriah stood his ground when everybody else even backed off. He just stayed. He, just, he was just faithful. But as I was... The, 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 I can remember where I was when the Lord impressed this upon my heart to preach. I, and, and, and he just said, and, and I was just walking down a section line in South Dakota. That's why I just walk and pray. I, I'll just pray and I'll, I'll talk with the Lord. And, and this is where he, he told me, he said, look at what David was willing to sacrifice in an attempt to keep his sin The value of this one mighty man, of the 37, he was willing to sacrifice just so that his sin wouldn't be found out. As I began to study this, the Lord showed me what Uriah means. It means the Lord is my light. You know what David was trying to do? He was trying to turn the lights off of his situation. He didn't want his sin illuminated. And every time he looked at Uriah, he knew that his sin was right there. He had to turn off the lights so they would think that his sin was still hidden. And David sacrificed a mighty man for that. I wonder, what will we sacrifice in our own lives to keep our sin hidden? To keep it so that we don't have to confess it to God. Can I say that one of the greatest mistakes any of us will ever make is to continue to hide sin 
rather than to come before God and confess it. There are so many needless things that we sacrifice when we refuse to confess our sins before God. We sacrifice family. Man, when we have sin in our heart and we're, we're just trying to keep it hidden, we're sacrificing our family. We're putting them on the altar of temptation. We're putting them on the, uh, 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 we're just saying, well, they're not worth as much as my sin is. We're willing to sacrifice relationships. We're willing to sacrifice our integrity. And here's the thing. Once we begin to make sacrifices for our sin, there's no telling how far we'll go to keep it hidden. Who knows how far? You might even find yourself going as far as David. What can I say? Hidden sin has its consequences. If you were to look in the book of Joshua, and you were to look in the time when the children of Israel, they were going across the Jordan River and the first battle they were going to come against was the battle of the city of Jericho. And they were commanded, do not take of anything. Do not, this is not your city of spoil. This is not for you. This is all belongs to the Lord. And there was a great victory and we all, probably know that when, when the first seven days they compassed round about the city. They compassed the walls and on the seventh day after they compassed it seven times and the trumpets blew and the people shouted, the walls came down and they went in and won. But there was one man who saw some things. He saw a wedge of gold. He's like, man, I can get wealthy. He saw a Babylonian garment. He's like, man, I've been wearing these same clothes for 40 years. Surely if I take it, nobody's going to notice. And so he takes it, and he puts it in his tent, hides it. The very next battle, the battle of Ai. Such a small town, actually, Joshua uh, says, no, we're, we're, we're not going to send everybody. We're just going to take a few with us. Yet in that battle, 36 men died right. of Israel. Right. Why? Because of hidden sin. Because somebody took of the accursed thing. See, Achan was willing to sacrifice those 36 for what he had hidden in his tent. And here's the thing. When it came to light, when it was finally exposed, it had even greater consequences. Joshua 7, 24 and 25 says, And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan the son of Zerah and the silver and the garment and the wedge of gold and his sons and his daughters and his oxen, and his asses, and his sheep, and his tent, and all that he had. 
and they brought them unto the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones and burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. That day that he brought that, 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 that accursed thing is what the Bible calls it. The things that wasn't supposed to be theirs when he brings that into the tent. He didn't realize that by hiding that in there, the consequences that it was going to have. He didn't realize that one day that he was going to have to look at his son and his daughters and his wife and all that he had and, and watch them. Be stoned with stones and burn with fire. The sacrifice, the consequence, all because of hidden sin. The sacrifices you make and the consequences that are suffered will only become more and more until either you confess it or it's exposed. And can I say that keeping your sin hidden until it is exposed isn't worth the cost? The child that was born in the affair of David died after the affair and all had been exposed. You know, it's far better to confess your sin than allow it to be exposed. I, I look at it this way. You can either humble yourself in confession or you'll be humiliated when it comes to exposure. Good. Humble yourself. Good. See, often, see, and we've all been there. Some of you might be there, some of you have been there, and some of you may end up going there with this idea of having this hidden sin. And, and you come to the point where you're like, what do I do with my sin now? Do I continue to sacrifice? Do I continue to suffer the consequences or do I confess it? And here's what's the problem. We're often hindered to confess our sins because the lies that we tell ourselves. So often it's in the mind that we won't confess. We know in our heart that's what we ought to do, but still in our mind, it, you just play games. And it's the ones that we tell ourselves. You see, the greatest deceiver is the one that can deceive himself with the lies he tells. See, the devil's a deceiver. And he'll tell us lies all the time. And we come to believe him. But we become even greater deceivers when we can deceive even ourselves. That's right. And that's what happens when we play our mind games about sin. Good. Some of the lies that we tell ourselves about God concerning ourselves, one, God can't see it. I mean, there are people, several times in the scripture, you find that, that there are people who think God can't see their sin. They think that just God is up in the, in the somewhere in heaven in far away place and he can't see my sin. But you know, can I say, Proverbs 15, 3 says, the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. God's just not watching you do good. 
He watches the evil too. And don't think that you have any privacy rights at home. Don't, don't think that when you close the door, on, uh, close that front door, that God's not coming in. He's already there. The Bible says in Psalm 44, verse 21, Shall not God search this out? For he knoweth the secrets of the heart. God knows it. You are not hiding anything from God. You can hide it from man's eyes. You can hide it from your wife's eyes. You can hide it from your husband's eyes. You can hide it from your kids. You can hide it from your boss. But you cannot ever, 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 ever hide anything from God. Amen. Don't ever get in your mind, God can't see me, because he can. He can. And you've got to realize he knows what's going on. Look, David thought everything was fine until Nathan showed up. Another lie we tell ourselves is God isn't interested in me. We think, well, God's worried about those other people's and their sins because, you know, their sin is great. See, we, we, like, to put a, uh, we like to put our sin on a scale from great sin to well, not so bad sin. And we, we like to put our sin over here because we're not so bad. Our sin is just small compared to them. But you know that the wages of sin is death for all sin. Well, we get to thinking, well, God's not interested in me. I'm not one that God really wants to bother with. Don't ever say that. For the saved... The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6.20, For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. God bought you. You know what? He is invested in you. Even Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Do you know that when God saved you, he bought you, and he's going to work on you until the day of Jesus Christ? So he, can I say he's not giving up on you? He's still working on you. And even as you're trying to hide your sin and you're still trying to keep it from being exposed, you know what God's trying to get you? He's trying to get you to confess it. Why? Because he needs to do some more work on you. Man, God is concerned about you. And maybe you're here and you say, I'm not saved. I know I'm a sinner. I've never been saved and you may say, well, God's not interested in me. No, he is. That's why John 3, 16 is in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Amen. Romans 5, 8. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God's interested in you. God sees what you're doing. Here's another lie we tell ourselves. I've gone too far for God to forgive me. You know, if you're sitting here this morning and breathing the same air I breathe, then you've not gone too far to receive his forgiveness. 
Man, you've not gone that far. Look, now, if you were in, 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 in the cemetery, in a, in, a, in, in a casket, in the ground, yeah, too far. Beyond where you can get forgiveness. But if you can hear my voice, if you can understand what I'm saying, you've not gone too far. Psalm 86, 5, For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive. And plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon him. First John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's all about forgiveness. It doesn't matter what you've done. Consider, okay, remember that scale? I said we've got great sin over here and we've got um, not so bad sin over here. Well, we can look at David and we say, well, you know, he's got some pretty great sin. Did God forgive him? Absolutely. Can God forgive you? Absolutely. You know, I think a lot of times we have the wrong perception of God. We always, growing up, I even had this. God was angry and wrathful and always full of destruction. And you know what? That's a small part of who he is. But if you go to 2 Samuel, Chapter 22, verse 36, this is what you're going to find. Thou hast also given me the shield of thy salvation, and thy gentleness hath made me great. When I read that a couple years ago, and I'd read it before, I love the Bible. You can go back and the Lord will just show you something you've never seen before. And I got to looking at that, and it says, Thy gentleness hath made thee great. It's 2 Samuel 22, just in the previous chapter where we were earlier. It's David. Thy gentleness. So often we think of God's harshness, and we always think of that, the, 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 uh, a coach uh, trying to get his, his team, and, and uh, you know, there at halftime, Come on, guys, we got, we, you know, Bunch of lazy, good-for-nothing players. I should go to the Girl Scouts and get some other players. But that's not how God makes us great. He doesn't stand there and yell at us and hate us and show us how weak and vile and disgusting we are. You know what he shows us? He shows us his gentleness. He says, come on. Let's see what we can do. I wish I would have seen that earlier in my as being a father. Even Romans 2 4. For despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. So often we think that as God uses his, his, his anger and his wrath and his punishment to get us to repent. No. He uses his goodness. Amen. Ezekiel 33, 11. Say unto them as I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked 
but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will ye die, O house of Israel? I saw that this past year, and I thought, man, God gets no pleasure in the death of the wicked. You know what he wants to see? He wants him to turn. That's the God we serve. That's the God of the Bible. That those are the lies that we tell ourselves about God. But there's another set of lies that we tell ourselves that keep us from getting right with God. We play in our mind the events that will take place when we confess our sin. And we say, I'm going to be so embarrassed when everybody finds out. Can I say, confession is unto God. You go to God and confess your sins. Thinking even with David that said unto thee, only have I sinned, Lord. And referring to the sin with Bathsheba and Uriah. But you know, there's only a few that will ever need to know. My former pastor had this policy, this, this concept. He said, keep the scope of the problem within the scope of the solution. Amen. So when you come and you, you confess your sin, that, that sin that you've been trying so hard to hide, it's not that you're going to come up and everybody's going to be looking at you like, wow, I can't believe. And then you don't have to stand up here and, 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 and tell everybody what you did. The only people that are ever going to know about it is the one that will help you get through it. That's it. And you know what? This morning when we had the invitation, I don't think Brother McDaniel is going to be down at the, at, the, at the bottom of the stairs with clipboard in hand Saying, okay, why are you coming? What'd you do wrong? That's not going to be that way. You know what he's going to be doing? Praying for you. Rejoicing with you that you've gotten right. And he'll do whatever he can to help. But he will in no wise embarrass you. None of the pastors will. None of the people will. So often we spend too much time thinking about what bad thing might happen if we confess our sin. We go through numerous scenarios in our mind and they can hinder us for years. Several years ago, I planted a church in Barberville, Kentucky. A situation that happened where our family got up and and left. It wasn't sin that caused it, though I felt like it was sin. I felt like my pastor, I disappointed him. 
And every time I would think to call my, pa- my, my first pastor, this is the one that I got called to preach under his ministry and he helped send me off to Bible college and then when I got out, then he, he, he said, hey, why don't you come and start a church in this town? Every time I thought about calling him, I played it through my mind and I said, no, I can't. He's going to be mad at me. I played it through my mind. I said, the people, they're they're, they're ashamed of me. I went 14 years. 14 years without calling and talking to my pastor. I was become members of other churches, but I hadn't called that one pastor. Finally, after 14 years, I was in the area and I decided I was going to show up for church on a Sunday night. And one by one, they gave me a hug. Finally, the time came, I got to see my pastor. After 14 years, I didn't know how he was going to react. You know what he said? Well, Brother Benji gave me a hug. It was like I never left. Can I tell you this morning? Stop playing in your mind all the things that might happen. Don't stop playing in your mind the things. Well, it's just easier for me to keep it hidden than confess it before God. No, can I say, let's get it right. Because a lot of those things that you're thinking in your head will not happen. Because you're deceiving yourself. You know, when the prodigal son came home to the father, he thought he would just come home and and be as one of the servants. You know what? He came home and just Became the son again. You know, he lost fellowship with the father during those time, during that time, but he never lost his sonship. Can I say that in your hidden sin, you may have lost the fellowship, but you've not lost the sonship. This is the winter jubilee. Now the year of Jubilee among the Jews took place every 50th year, at which time all the slaves were liberated and all lands which had been alienated during the whole period reverted to their former owners. This was a time of great rejoicing. Can I say that you no longer have to be a slave to sin? But through confession, you can have forgiveness and a time of rejoicing. Each of us this morning ought to decide that those sins we've been keeping hid from others are over. We're going to come to the altar and we're just going to confess. Look, and don't think that you're just coming to confess. And and, and as as people come to the altar, don't think, well, man, they must have some really great sin. No. You know what the big problem is? We don't keep the small sins confessed. We don't keep the little ones. 
And those are the ones that lead to the big problems. So no matter how small that sin may seem, that too needs to be confessed. You've already sacrificed so much. Don't wait for the consequences. Are you willing to sacrifice the blessings you could have this week just so you don't have to deal with God concerning the sin you're harboring in your life. See, if we're going to have jubilee, we're going to have to start with us first. We're going to have to confess our sin. We're going to have to do some business. I was thinking this morning, Lord, that's a heavy message for a Sunday morning. But he reminded me, some of you came to church with a heavier burden of sin. Let's stop hiding. Let's confess. Every head bowed, every eye closed is the pastor. Let's stand together all over the auditorium. Our heads are bowed. That's exactly the message we need to hear this morning. It's interesting. Brother Larry Wells preached for us just a few months ago. He was preaching on sin. He said, according to the word of God, The wages of sin is death. Every sin has a death sentence attached to it. Small sin, large sin, however you want to classify it. Every sin has a death sentence attached to it. So it doesn't matter if it's small or big. It's a death sentence. And you know, you think about this. One moment after you draw your last breath, it doesn't matter how you died, you died. So this morning, some of you, again, as he, as he preached, you're going, yeah, but my sin's not too bad. It's not an abomination, but, but it's separating you from God. If you're here today and you're, you've never been saved, you have to confess that you're a sinner because your sin is separating you from a relationship with God. You say, well, God and I have an understanding. We need to get out of this negotiation mindset see you negotiate when you have something to offer he's holding all the cards he said I am the way the truth and the life no man cometh to the father but by me there's no negotiating it's his way he is the way but as he said he said the bible said if we confess our sins he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins he's saying this listen I know what's wrong with you I know everything about you. He mentioned it. He knows your heart. He knows your mind. He knows everything about you. Yet still, he said, if you'll come, I'll forgive you. You'll come, I'll forgive you. Yet, you know what? You know the reason we won't do it? Our pride. What if if I go to the altar and people are going to think that, what? who cares? Who cares what they think? See, what's interesting to me is 
People don't care when they're out in sin what people think of them. That's right. You don't believe it? You look at TikTok. People acting a fool out there doing drugs, drinking, half naked. They put. They don't care what that people think. They're right. promoting their sin. Yet when we, when God convicts us and we want to confess it, and we want to get right. The devil say, "Yeah, but what, what, what are people going to think of you?" Yeah. I tell you what, they'll think of you. Hallelujah! Praise God. Amen. Yeah. And He mentioned it. You don't have to get up here and tell everybody your dirty laundry. Right, right. It's between you and God. So she's going to play, heads bowed, eyes closed. If you don't know him as your Savior this morning, let me invite you to come. If you do, him, do know him as your Savior and you've got sin in your life and there's that separation of fellowship, not relationship, fellowship. You've got all this burden. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. He said, I will give you rest. That's a promise. But you got to move. You got to move this morning. Would you come? Would you come? Preacher, I don't know how to be saved. If you'll come, we'll show you from the Bible. You may be here and say, I know how to be saved. Then, then take that first step. Right? You have to make a decision for Jesus. You're here today and you are a Christian. You say, I'm just not living for God. I'm cold and indifferent. I would like to have that jubilee he's talking about. That's what this meeting's about. Right? what it's about getting help you don't have to be miserable you don't have to be burdened you don't have to have a life that every day you wake up you say I hate life I hate life I can't stand it but some of you choose it you say I don't choose my circumstance but you choose how you react to it we sing the song victory in Jesus Yet we think it's victory in me. It's not. Whatever your need, you come. If you don't know him as your Savior, please come. Need somebody to pray with you? You can't have revival without repentance. You can't. You just can't. I didn't come here to hear all that. I just came to feel good. You can't feel good without repentance. Right? Go to the doctor and you don't go to the doctor and say, hey, well, here's what's wrong with you. Here's the medication. You go, nope, I don't want it. I'm just going to walk out of here. I just want to hear what you had to say, but I'm not going to listen to you. Oh, that's, that's how we do. He just gave you the Bible. That wasn't Benji Bowden's words. The sacrifice. What are you sacrificing for that? Just that little moment of pleasure, right? Feels good, right? Pleasurable for a season. Then there's a consequence, right? Always a consequence. That's what the devil doesn't show you. But Benji, if, if, the, if God would allow us to see the pain, the suffering that sin would cause, I don't believe anybody chooses it. See, the devil shows us the allure of it, right? We see the charm of it. We don't see the cost of it. But there's always a cost. There's always a cost. Father, I thank you for the message. Thank you for your man. 
And he is right. It is the message for this hour. We got to have a heart of repentance. And so I pray as we leave here in just a few moments, you would continue to work on our hearts. You want us to be clean. And oh, we thank you. You're so merciful, long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. And so continue to speak to hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.